Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Ryan Meeks, and after years of trying to make life work as a struggling artist, independent filmmaker, and musician, I thought to myself, hey, self, wouldn't it be helpful to ask other artists how they're finding their path in this world? And so now, that's exactly what I'm doing on a bi-weekly basis. Welcome to the Path of Art. Welcome to the Path of Art. I'm Ryan Meeks, and today we're here with Mark Roos. Uh, he is a composer out of L.A. He's done many projects uh, that are in popular culture today. Uh, welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you for having me, Ryan. It's wonderful to be here with you. All right. Uh, could you uh, introduce our audience to the work that you've done? Mm-hmm. Sure. So... Um, the work that I've done specifically, well, I'll tell you, I think the most important thing, the work that I've done and what I'm most proud of is being able to participate with other artists in helping them achieve their goals and doing that through the writing process of custom music for their projects, whether it's for video games or whether it's for, you know, an airline commercial or for uh, On the Case with Paul is on it, uh, or uh, History Channel shows or Amazon Prime, it really is very, very rewarding. So hopefully that answers your question. All right. And so um, you're also a producer on top of your uh, composing. Uh-huh. And yeah. uh, how many artists have you produced? Um, I would say probably over the past 10-year period, probably 40, I think is probably fair. Wow. Uh, I think it's that's probably more conservative than aggressive, so about 40. And what would you say, uh, since we're diving into producing and composing here, uh, what yeah. are the most known compositions that you've done and artists that you've produced? Okay. So um, one of the artists I had the privilege of producing is actually a mezzo-soprano opera singer out of New York, where I used to live. Um, And uh, her name is Vita Coromina. um, And we did a... I was able to help work with her and compose and produce with her a kind of a Games of Thrones kind of really big, huge orchestral thing um, with a mezzo-soprano. 
And the goal for that was uh, for the TV market and for the uh, video games. And so we have it in place. It's um, she's all over a series on Amazon uh, called Trending Crimes, Amazon Prime. Uh, the first season, uh, they finished filming the second season, and she's on the she sings on the opening and the closing credits, as well as several places in the series itself. Oh, nice! So that's one. Mm-hmm. Um, Another thing, you know, I didn't plan on, I hope this is all right, Ryan, to just maybe explain, uh, about 10 years ago, I guess, now, wow, I was at uh, uh, my Performing Rights Organization's Expo, the ASCAP, um, in Los Angeles, I was living in New York at the time, and I uh, was very active, and I guess still am, um, in the Society of Composers and Lyricists, the SCL, you can look it up, the SCL.com for your listeners and viewers um, in New York City. I was on the steering committee there, and so I was working a booth <laughs> at the ASCAP Expo. And a lady came up, and we got talking. I got her to join. Um, it's an excellent, or- excellent organization. And um, I started producing an album for her. Um, and that really kind of started it off. Uh, it wasn't what I planned on. Um, I, you know, chiefly am a first as a composer and songwriter, not necessarily a singer. Um, but I had, uh, Elliot Goldenthal was, uh, he was at, uh, SCL, event he was receiving a lifetime achievement award and he said something to to all of us that aaron copeland uh, uh c- the composer that wrote uh fanfare for the common man uh and uh, aaron copeland told him he said go where you're wanted and i all that always stuck with me and so the artists and the uh, albums that I've been able to help produce and uh, help write for and help the artists get where they want to go and achieve their goals has been following that mantra of go where you're wanted. And so I've really, really enjoyed it. Well, that's great. And uh, let's talk about your compositions. Like uh, what, what are your most known combinations? Um, you know, one of the things that I've had a really, really great time doing over the past several years has been writing music for the show uh, on the History Channel. Uh, it's called American Pickers, which is kind of an Americana thing where these two guys travel the country and they uh, go to very, very sometimes uh, unlikely and remote places and uh, are able to restore and acquire some really unusual bits of American history. Um, And so just two years ago, for example, I wrote 780 compositions for that show or cues as we call them cues or tracks. Um, And that's still, it's something that I still do. Um, It is a really, it's a lot of fun because I get to use live instruments. I do some synth, but I really enjoy using live instruments, instrumentation. Um, so that has really been able to help kind of keep me 
really satisfied and uh, creatively challenged. Um, I don't mind sense and, you know, writing as we say in the business writing uh, in the box, so to speak. Um, but sometimes they, I don't know, they just don't excite me that much. So live instrumentation, live drums, live, you know, cello, any kind of chamber, guitar, any flute, anything that is live. I guess there's a lot more planning um, that goes into that, right? There can be. Yeah, there can be. But you do get it down where you have a system. Um, so, for example, when I do have um, other musicians that I work with, you just it's just like any business. It's like anything. You know, Ryan, you have people there at KSL, at Bonneville. When you have any kind of a situation or need someone, I bet you there is a go-to person or persons that you go right to. It's the same thing. Right. So very often when I when we write something, uh, my business partner, Adonis Silen Paris, and uh, also Catherine Beggs, part of Cutting Room Music, when we're working on something, very often I don't write a thing down. I say, here's the beats per minute, here's the meter, you know, five, four, 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 whatever. Here's the key, go. And they just do whatever they're going to do, send back the stems. Or the, the stems are the individual recordings of a single instrument. Okay, so a cello track or would be called a stem, or a bass would be a the bass stem, etc. And I just mix it right in. Um, sometimes when I have to do orchestration, um, it's not something that I particularly enjoy. I everybody has their strengths. I can do it. I can conduct, which I don't mind doing. Um, orchestration. I would rather have have just about anything else happen except having to do that. So I have so I have uh, a very very dear friend, and he's worked Broadway and has worked has been for years. Greg Pliska in New York City, he does all of my orchestrations. I just send it to him. Whatever it is that he does, I don't even hear it back. He sends it back, and it's absolutely much better than anything I could have done because it's a second pair of eyes. And I think that's an, another thing that is very rewarding and that can be very rewarding for composers is being able to have a community where you are working with other very, very talented professional individuals. That is wonderful because uh, the music business is specifically – production and composition, uh, songwriting, it can be a very, very solitary endeavor. Mm -hmm. And it takes work to involve and bring other people into helping you achieve the vision for whatever project it is that you're working right. on. And but it's also really, really rewarding. Right. And how does that happen? Like, uh, I know a lot of musicians that we all just think we have to do everything ourselves also because we don't have the funding, you know, to get other people to help us. Sure. So how does that happen? Like, especially when you're starting out? Well, I think one of the best things that I would recommend to any artist that's starting out first, here's the thing. Uh, if anyone is listening to this, you can, whoever you are, you can absolutely 
have the career of your dreams if you so desire. Okay. And the only way, and I think Ryan and I, you and I, I know you and I have talked about this before. The only way that it's not going to happen is if you choose to stand down. However, that being said, there is a process that happens. Um, I've had the privilege of working with uh, many budding composers. But then there's also people, you know, like myself, I work with artists all over the United States and in, in Germany um, with the advent of, you know, for example, Riverside that you're using right now. It's a fantastic program. Zoom uh, and then uh, several uh, audio programs like uh, Audio Movers Listen To. It's just as if you're sitting in the studio with, with, with me. You can see what I'm doing and you can hear what I'm doing. Mix it right there. Mix master. Um, but the, the process being said, one of the, the benest, biggest benefits that I have found in doing this for the past 20 years, 25 years, whatever, is to align yourself with someone, hit your wagon to someone that is established in the industry. That's number one. And to do whatever it is that they tell you to do, okay, in a very nice way. You know, Steve Jobs, I'm going to paraphrase, he said, you know, when you basically, when you hire someone, you do what they say and get out of their way because that's why they're there. Um, that's number one. Second is join a group or an association. And there are uh, meetup groups. There's all kinds of things, especially, you know, for your listen, listeners in Utah and the Intermountain West area, anywhere that you are, there is going to be a group of people that are like-minded like you are and get involved with that group, whoever they are, wherever they are. Uh, for me, my journey was I when I first picked up this uh, gig working with this artist. Um, I went to to uh, the uh, ASCAP Expo, and I went and sat in on one of their seminars. And there was a guy there that was talking that had done a lot of immersive audio for uh, theater installations, uh, museum installations, amusement parks. Uh, automobile sounds, all kinds of things that you wouldn't normally associate with music that are, it's, it's a wonderful feel when we, he, I happened to be in the elevator with him when we were getting done. And when we were going down now, remember I went from Utah, a bountiful area to New York city. I didn't know anyone. I had nothing. So I guess my point is on this is that I, I, I can be fairly confident if I was helicoptered into any city, I have a formula that has worked for me that I would employ. And within 18 months, I would be book solid. There's this, it's just like, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Honestly, I've never actually tried that, but that's the right. phrase. Um, in, in other words, it's, 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 Almost, I mean, for me, it's been full foolproof. I've done it three times now. Did it in Utah, number one. Number two, I did it in New York City. 
was there for 10 years and then I'm doing it again and I'm, I'm working full time here after being a being in Los Angeles now for the past uh, 19 months, 20 months, whatever it is. Uh, moved here in the height of the pandemic uh, when people were not meeting for safety reasons, but they were meeting virtually. And you found a way to do it. That is correct. So even in the, the midst of, so basically if you want to do it, you can do it. So I, you know, go for it. I mean, yeah, you may need to work a second job or whatever. Everybody's got to eat. So, you know, time's going to go by whether you do so it or how not. Do you, I hope yeah. that answers your question. So how do you keep that focus? Like, I, I'm sure we'll go into maybe a few more details on how artists mm-hmm. can do this later on. But how do you keep that focus? I mean, when you have to have another job or say that you're wanting to do more of your compositions, you know, instead of uh, producing mm-hmm. other artists, how do you keep that focus mm-hmm. and still maintain the other focus on the thing that sustains you? Well, it really kind of goes hand in hand. If it's something that you really, really want, um, you will find a way. Okay. Um, you know, my story was when I was in Utah, um, even when I was in, uh, at BYU and in graduate school, which I did not get my degree in music. Um, I got in, uh, public policy at BYU. It was a great experience. Um, I was working while I had a young family and I was doing very, uh, at first, very unglamorous, you know, custodial work, uh, pretty gritty at times uh, at four o'clock in the morning. And then I went and worked at the library. I was doing that while I was, so I was working almost full time at BYU, uh, getting my degree and doing music. Now it was a 90 hour week. Okay. But I didn't, it didn't matter to me. Because I was having, I mean, I love my experience at BYU. It was wonderful. Um, but I love doing music more. And after I graduated, I thought that I would try the traditional route. And I went and worked for the Utah legislature at the uh, legislative auditor's office, which uh, basically it evaluates uh, state mandated programs for efficiency and effectiveness, how well they're actually um, executing their charge and law. Um, I did that for five years. And at that time I, you know, I had another child. Um, I was working there full time, sometimes more than full time. And at that time I had, 52 guitar students that I saw a week um, and writing music. Now I was working again, 90 hours a week. And I had a friend, uh, uh, Brett Hart, who's a wonderful drummer there, lives in the Bountiful area, uh, super guy. Uh, and we actually recorded uh, like three, three or four albums worth of stuff. And that how ha- he had a full-time job. That happened at night. We would start at six or seven and we would play and record 
on an analog tape machine, so no computers. This was all analog. So if you didn't play it right, you had to do it over again. And I'm terrible at punching in and out. So I would have, I mean, we got, so we could play a five and a half minute song after going through it once. Perfect. We got really, really good. But I would, you know, we would get done at six or seven in the morning. I would go shower and go right to work. Now I was in my right. twenties. Okay. <laughs> Back then, it's not so bad. And so, in thirties too, as you know, I did that probably till I don't know thirty five, whatever thirty thirty five. Um, but I loved doing it, and I didn't care. I did not. I made no difference to me. I was like, oh, so I don't get any sleep. Well, I, I'll sleep for two nights, and then I would do it again. Um, I was, I think, I mean, I like to think that I was able to help, uh, improve, uh, standard of living for a lot of people that are affected by Utah programs. Um, it was very rewarding, but that's not where I really was, wasn't where my heart was. So I didn't care. I didn't care what it took. I just was like, uh, all right, let's just go. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking with Mark Roos, and uh, we're going to just go into more of his past and how he got to where he is. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Path of Art. We're here with Mark Roos, a composer and producer out of L.A. Uh, we've talked about some really good stuff. I thought that I hope that everyone out there got something from that first portion, because I certainly did. Uh, so, Mark, what got you interested in composing music in the first place? You mentioned that you'd been doing it your whole life. Uh, did you start as a kid? You just, like, you got a a guitar or something for Christmas? How did it all start? Great question. My parents, we, they were living in, well, I, we were all living, um, in, uh, Vienna, Austria at the time. My father, this was in the early seventies and my parents took me. I don't know. I'm the eldest of three. So I don't know if they got a sitter or something for the other two. I was, I think five or six at the time. And they took us, took me to a performance of uh, Mozart's magic flute. And now I don't really remember any of this. I do remember, you know, going and, but anyway, when we came home, my father uh, said that I said, I want to do that. And, you know, my parents said my both of them said well what do you mean what's that and i said i want to write music i want to be able to i don't know how i take it i'm sure i didn't didn't really probably make much sense well my parents <laughs> they were very smart they said well you can and we'll support you doing that but if you start piano lessons your mom has to go with you 
and write down notes and she's going to be by your side and practicing with you and you can't stop taking lessons until you're 18 years old. Now this is to a five-year-old and my father said that I thought about it for about two and a half weeks. Didn't talk about it again and then I came back and said, okay, I'm ready. And that's really kind of what started it. And, um, you know, I had a teacher there and then also had it here when we were in the uh, back in Utah at BYU. My father was a German professor. Um, and I had a wonderful teacher here. His name was Carrie Arvin. He was just a wonderful, wonderful, amazing teacher. I had him for years and years until um, he unfortunately was uh, passed away. So, um, but that really motivated me. And um, I was looking back on it now, I was just as obsessed with it then as I am now. Um, one of my earliest memories was in uh, when we were, then we had gone back again uh, to uh, Austria, this time to Salzburg. And I heard the, okay, nobody laugh, but uh, the Bumblebee tuna commercial. And I don't know. That stuck with me. And I remember on this grand piano in Austria, because the university had rented a hotel, 400-year-old hotel. And there was a grand piano there. I think it was a baby grand. Um, and I played that over and over and over while I was learning Chopin, you know, Bach, all of the standards. Um, and later, when I was in school, um, if I wasn't getting my homework done, my parents wouldn't ground me from my friends. I could go out as much as I wanted, but they would ground me from playing my instrument outside of practice time. And that got my attention uh, because I would very much, I when I was in school, uh, elementary, junior high, high school, um, I would go to school. I would come home and I would play and squeeze homework in until I, you know, we had dinner as a family and then I would go back and do it at night. I was supposed to go to bed and I would, I had a guitar that I was learning from an electric guitar as well as a classical guitar. And I would cover this cheap little amp that my parents had got me, which I was very grateful for with books and blankets. And I put it in the closet and I would turn it up so that I could hear it, but I thought they didn't hear it. And I would play until two or three o'clock in the morning, wake back up at, you know, seven, whatever it was to go back to school. And I did that almost every single night during the summer. You know, I would have friends come over and they would want to go out and hang out. And I got a stereo at 11 years old. My brother and sister were very upset because I had the option to get a trampoline or a stereo. And I got a stereo and they were gypped out of the trampoline except for a couple of years later. But I would just sit there in the room and listen to these eight track tapes. Okay. And I would buy them. I would I would save my money, and I would just listen. And people get, oh, come on, let's go hang out. And I'm like, well, we are. We're listening right. to this. 
just stand there going, well, and um, when I was in junior high, when I was here uh, uh, in Utah, um, I had this big stack of uh, eight track tapes, these big things, you know, Hotel California, Foreigner, I can't remember what it was. cheap trick all of this just ate you know sticks uh rush all of this stuff along with classical uh some mm-hmm. funk jazz i had them oh, stolen no. out of my locker this big stuff and i had you know when you're a kid you don't have a lot of capital to work with right. i was absolutely devastated uh they'd all gotten stolen but i just said okay well i saved my money and i bought them again my behavior and attitude really never changed even when as, as I continued to mature. So I have a degree in film and media arts, but I went back for a painting and drawing degree to kind of help my animations that I was making. I wanted to get better at art. Uh, but while I was there, I learned a lot kind of about what you're saying here Um that I still have a hard time applying, but (laughs) but one of my art professors said, you need to be obsessed. I asked him, how do I get good at this? (laughs) And he said, you need to want this more than anything. You need to be completely obsessed with becoming a great artist. And unfortunately for me, I've kind of been like really ADD with, um, multiple facets of creativity right music was my first love you know there was the thing that i wanted to do uh but because of cultural influences i thought that that wasn't a good idea to pursue that right and so i wanted to do something that was still creative so i did a film degree and uh then i had a second degree and then i don't really use that <laughs> and and now i'm looking at music again and so I, I guess i have a question about was that kind of a similar reason that you went into something that was like a you know political science or or uh your degree that was uh more okay. I, I can't remember uh, what it was it was uh Public policy. It was, a, it was a combined bachelor's and master's program with the emphasis on foreign policy and international trade. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, but no one should ever feel bad or have to make any excuses if they are if they enjoy doing multiple art forms. Art is art, okay. And there's, I for whatever reason in music was my thing. Okay. I didn't really ever draw except as a, you know, child, um, didn't really write. I don't really write lyrics. Um, don't really sing. Um, although I'm working on my very first album, we'll see how that goes. It's going, I know how to make things sound good. So hopefully it'll work. But, um, creatively, you know, that's a wonderful thing. I know that uh, fellow composer, uh, Catherine Beggs, she's not only a wonderful composer, uh, underscore, film score, uh, singer-songwriter, but also she is a great poet, 
and she is a wonderful um, artist, painter. I mean, really, really great. Mm -hmm. And so it can absolutely work to anyone's advantage. Just, you know, whoever it is, just be you. Do your thing. And if you paint, great. And you do music, great. And if you, you know, I mean, some of the most wonderful artists, contemporary artists today, um, they're, they do multiple art forms. So it's great. All right. So we're going to listen to this piece that uh, is, is produced by Mark Roos here. So this is, uh, this, this, track is uh track number 10 on so the the very first album that i produced uh was way back in 2004 and it was actually for uh she became my wife uh lorindy roos um i'd actually met her while working as part of the legislative auditor's office of, of all things um and produced uh, an album for her. Uh, she sings on it, and this is a. You can find her on Spotify. It's Lorindi Roos, and the name of the album is called My Journey. This is song number ten, and this is. Uh, I didn't. I did not compose this, but I did arrange it um, and produce it. Um, we recorded it at uh, L.A. L.A. East. Yeah, L.A. East um, in that old church, uh, Mormon church there, LDS church. Um, and there were members of uh, mostly made up of Utah Symphony players. There were 35 of them. And what we did is we did uh, had a video recorder on uh, filming the conductor. We did what's called One Pass. And then he played the video of him watching him conduct. And then we recorded it again and then put those together. And all of a sudden you have a 70 piece orchestra. So this is a, these, this, these are traditional hymns. Um, it's actually a combination of uh, wondrous cross and I can't remember the name of the other one. Please forgive me, but it's two together. And so it's recorded with it's recorded with an orchestra, and then after we were done, and the orchestra actually cleared out. Then I recorded the piano um, in the same room, uh, just in the thing. So <clears throat> this is uh, honestly, this is the piece I'm the most proud of. So I hope people might enjoy it. We're going to listen to it right here.
Beautiful piece, Mark. Very beautiful. So I remembered the name. So it's uh, uh, <clears throat> Rugged Cross. It's a it's a combination of Rugged Cross and it's called Ye Old Rugged Cross. So it's actually the two. Oh, okay. So, and I think I would be re- remiss if I didn't mention um, that the album, uh, Lorindy's album that we uh, that we that we did, uh, I was able to help her with. Uh, was all recorded at in Orem with Cliff Mogg at the Record Lab there. And actually, he went back many times to his studio. It's a beautiful studio there. Uh, recorded uh, the Microsoft Xbox, uh, Microsoft Links 
video game. I scored the entire thing. Uh, we did all of the tracking there, and it was a great experience. Well, that's great. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing that with us. I, I hope everyone listening enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you had one bit of advice to give to someone starting out, what would that advice be? Yes. Long story short is know who you're about. Know what you're about. Know what you stand for. Why do you do what you do? And it's not like you've got to, you know, dig it out with a Derek. But what I do remember, thank you for asking that again, is if you love what you do and if you're talking to somebody about it, it is never it doesn't I mean, does it ever feel like I'm like trying to sell you on something here in this podcast? No, I don't saying? think so. It's a love story. Mm-hmm. What I do is it's a love story. I love to talk about it. I love to share it. I love to help people. I want to get people involved. I want to spread the news. Mm-hmm. That is not being salesy mm-hmm. at all. And also the other thing is, second thing is I'm not trying to extract something from someone. I'm not trying to get something from someone. And you know what? People can sense that and uh, in maybe a less uh, dignified way, they can smell it. They can feel it. Okay. Um, I've always gone and tried to with anything is not, oh, what am I going to get paid or how is it going to, is my name going to be somewhere? Because, you know, frankly, as far as like name recognition things, uh, I just don't care. Why do I not care? Because first, to me, it doesn't matter. And second, I get the biggest thrill out of being able to work with others to help them achieve their goal. That's a blast. And my best clients that I've worked with, many of them, I have never even had one single financial discussion with them, ever. And they always pay early, and they always pay me more than I ever thought that I would be getting paid. And that, I believe, comes down to how can I serve and what do I stand for? Okay. That's really good. That's really good advice. You'll be awesome. So, Mark, uh, where can people find your stuff and what's uh, what's next on the horizon for you? Uh, If anybody wants to get to know uh, me and uh, our team a little bit better, uh, cutting room music. Uh, So not, you know, singular cutting room Uh, like you're going to cut scissors. We're in a room and music, cuttingroommusic.com, and uh, joined forces with uh, my dear friend and fellow composer, Adonis uh, Sillen Paris, uh, native New York, and uh, Catherine Beggs, uh, native to uh, Pasadena here, has also joined our team. And uh, so the music there is place where you can go and actually watch a lot of uh, video clips and other things where you can see a lot of different styles from just not only audio clips, but also how the music that is composed, that I compose, fits in with visual imagery and art. Okay, well, great. Thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. For those of you listening, uh, make sure that you download other podcasts. We've got... uh, 
14 or 15 up until now, and this one with Mark has been really good to dive into the intricacies of being a producer and also being a composer at the same time and how to make that all work. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much, Ryan, for having me. And, um, you know, Bonneville and KSL are very, very lucky to have you. I will tell you that and your listeners as well. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. All right. This has been another episode of The Path of Art. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to The Path of Art. If you or someone you know is creative and would like to tell your story, reach out to me at rmeeks at ksl.com. I might feature you on the show. If you liked our conversation, please make sure you follow the show and give us a five-star rating and review. It really does help people to discover the show. Also, make sure you follow The Path of Art podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson. And unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.